The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. We're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy. I'm going to close this book out in a series of three sermons. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 and 12a. I'm going to preach two uh, sermons on uh, 11 through 14. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 12a. I'm going to pick right up where Greg left off with this. And uh, we're going to move on from there. We're going to make our way through the book, four sermons total. So I need to take a minute to do some housekeeping stuff. I want to talk to you about a few things about where we're going. And I just want you to hear my heart on a few things as we head into the next nine months together. First of all, where are we going sermon-wise, Britt? What are you going to be doing over the next nine months? What does that look like? I'm really excited about some of the series we have coming down for you. I'm going to finish the book of 1 Timothy out. And then during the Thanksgiving and Christmas season, I'm going to preach a four-part series on Christ applied. As we think about Thanksgiving, as we think about Christmas, a lot of times those holidays are bent around the material world. When you were saved, when God redeemed you and Christ was united with you in your faith, there's some real benefits to that. Not the least of which are justification, sanctification, preservation, and glorification. So I'm going to preach two uh, four-part series on that, Christ Applied, that's going to take us through the holidays. I'm really excited about that. I hope you'll join us for that. And then we're going to dive right into the book of Philippians. We're going to go into the book of Philippians. There's going to be joy. There's going to be unity. There's going to be humility. Philippians has high Christology, so I'll get to preach Jesus Christ to you at at his highest peak some ways in the New Testament. So I'm looking forward to that, and I hope that that you'll be here for that. So uh, Philippians, and that's going to carry us through the next nine months. Can you believe it? <laughs> that's going to be through the balance of Greg's deployment. So I'm excited about that, and I hope that you are as well. Second of all, just a couple personal things here. If you haven't noticed, we're in a little bit of a unique situation as a church over the next nine months. Um, you've had an opportunity to hear from everyone uh, regarding Greg's deployment as it should have been before you've heard from me about it. So I just want to share a couple things with you on that. Greg is literally sitting in an airport right now, I think. And so I talked to him this morning. Uh, We had a great conversation this morning. So I just want to share with you, I got a phone call from Greg when he was on the West Coast as well. (laughs) I was one of those people that got a phone call from him just days after his deployment. And so what ensued from there was just... Um, uh, many, many long conversations between he and I, long conversations, a lot of prayer, a lot of discernment. Um, And so where we are today is a product of that prayer. It's a product of that discernment. It's a product of our friendship. It's a product of conversations and long planning. And so my goals over the next nine months are really very simple. My goals will turn into your goals (laughs) over the next nine months. And they're this, it's to serve Greg, it is to serve you, and it is to serve the mission and vision of this church all under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so what you should be thankful for is that God's good favor rests upon you, and you as a church, I need you to hear me. I need everyone in here to hear me. You as a church have a unique opportunity to be a part of a larger story that God is unfolding in Charleston. You have a unique opportunity. I believe with every fiber of my being that Grace on the Ashley has a unique opportunity to be one of the remarkable stories that's told in this city. Over the next nine months, we have an opportunity to buckle down, to link arms, and to build out the kingdom of God in some really unique ways. I want to be very clear with you 
the potential for this body to be utilized in unique ways in this community, in this city, is unprecedented. I promise you. I promise you that. But it will take hard work. It will take trust, and it will take humility. With the full endorsement of Greg and our absolute unity, really unbelievable unity and friendship, unity of spirit and purpose, I intend to challenge you. I intend to challenge us with the vision and the mission that is set before us. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to care for you. I am probably going to disappoint you in some ways. I may not return an email as fast as you'd like. (laughs) I may not come on a visit as quick as you need, but that's the reality of it. But I intend to challenge us with the mission and the vision that has been laid before you. So the question is this, how dedicated are you to the mission of Grace on the Ashley to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ? Megan and I have consistently prayed November will be 17 years. The first day of November will be 17 years we've been together. Megan and I, my wife, Megan and I, we have consistently prayed for over 17 years that God would use us to do things that we cannot take credit for. We've prayed that. So the question for us has been, can we do the things necessary on our part so God can use us to create stories for his glory that no one individual can take credit for. So here is the question for you. Are you willing as a church to do the things necessary in order that God can create a story that no one individual can take credit for? Are we prepared to do that? A story that I can tell beyond this walls, beyond these walls one day, and a story that I can tell beyond this city one day. And depending over the next nine months, each of you are going to make small little decisions. There'll be small decisions that come at you over the next nine months. And depending on your level of dedication, each one of you looking at me, each one of you looking at me, by the power of God Almighty, for the sake of his name and glory, will be part of a story that will be told one day. Be part of a very special and unique story that will be told one day. So buckle your seatbelt. Let's have a good nine months. A nine months to remember as we prepare for Greg's return. Let's pray. Eternal Father, it's through Christ Jesus that we have an advocate to plea our cause. And so I ask that you be gracious to me as I stand in a pulpit to deliver your words. Give me faithfulness to the text today. Give me faithfulness to the text. Give me fidelity to the truth in application that I may proclaim your excellencies with diligence and power. Bend the hearts of the people in this room, including myself, to your intents for this church and give us a story to tell, Father. Give us a story to tell that only you can take credit for, a story that no one individual can lay claim to outside of yourself, a story that has no hero but our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is in his name that we pray. Amen. To the text, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12a, really short piece of scripture this morning. We're going we're gonna to jump off into this. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 and 12a. For as for you, O man of God, Paul is writing to Timothy here. We've been in this book. If you've been here, you probably remember this. Paul is writing to Timothy here. He says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. I'm going to talk to you about what these things are. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, 
And then hear the first part of verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. The basis of this passage is a charge to Timothy based upon what the Apostle Paul has previously unfolded in this book. Book. In verse 11, Paul shifts the writing away from the false teachers and back toward Timothy. And he's addressing Timothy's disposition. He's, just, he's addressing Timothy's spiritual qualifications. These are spiritual qualifications. The language here, it's fascinating to me because Paul takes a sharp turn towards the contrast, towards a contrast, and catch this in the text. We'll see the text here. He addresses Timothy with the all-important phrase, man of God. Do you see that in the text? Do you see that in the scripture there? He addresses Timothy with an all-important phrase, man of God. In the previous section and really throughout the book that we've been preaching through, the alternative to the man of God has been the person that has pursued teachings of, that are not uh, clear of the gospel. They're not the gospel. They're unfaithful. They're not Christian. They're outright heresy for you theological-minded people. And so right before verses 11 and 12, Paul addresses those who do not preach the gospel. He addresses those that aren't preaching the gospel, those that are preaching a false gospel. In, in, part, lack, this, in part, they're preaching this gospel because it's a lack of contentment in their life. Paul utilizes the phrase, these things. That's an important phrase for us this morning. He utilizes the phrase, three, these things, because he, he's talking about the issues around the love of money and contentment. He deals with this in the previous paragraph. I think it's three through 10 there. He's dealing with unhealthy love for money as just one example of a life of discontentment. But what he's really alluding to here is the false teaching in Ephesus in general. In some ways, he's alluding to love of money and contentment, but he's also alluding to the larger issue that was going on in the church of Ephesus, which was Gnosticism. That's a big word. That's basically is just a full-blown heresy that was basically saying that the teachers, they taught a type of salvation. This is really simple, but they taught a type of salvation that was based upon a secret knowledge that only a few people had. And Timothy's addressing this under the direction of the Apostle Paul. And so at the, Timothy's at a place that's, this is important, he's at a place that's void of the gospel. I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute. And it leads to this universal, it leads to the inverse of a man of God, a place that's void of the gospel. These teachers that he's dealing with, they're the inverse of a man of God, what I term a man of godlessness a man of godlessness. So the, th- the statement that I think summarizes where Paul is going in all of this is this, that the man of God, this is so important, the man of God, he rapidly escapes what the godless man reaches for. The man of God rapidly escapes what the godless man reaches for. Paul didn't say, Timothy, be cool around the false teaching. <laughs> he didn't say, be, be cool around a church that's void of the gospel and that loves money in an unhealthy way. Just keep it cool, just play it cool. He didn't say that. He says to him, flee these things. This is the beginning of what will make him godly. This is the beginning of what will make him godly. He utilizes three strong verbs in this paragraph. Paul utilizes three strong verbs in this section, and I'm going to deal with all three of them. Just boom, boom, boom. We're going to walk through them, and then I'm going to come back to the other stuff in this and hopefully show you some cool angles on the passage. Three strong verbs in here. Verb number one, flee. I think there's two reasons why Paul uses the word flee. Look at me. Wisdom is knowledge applied. 
So when you read scripture, wisdom comes into scriptural interpretation by your application. So I think, this is my opinion, that when you read the text, I believe I can prove it as well, that when Paul is teaching this, he's given us the word flee for two reasons. Reasons number, reason number one is this, is that the teachings that are contrary to the gospel that he's dealing with, lack of contentment, love for money, the false gospel, all this stuff is very strong. It's attractive. It's attractive or there wouldn't be people following it. It sounds new. There's nothing new under the sun, but it sounds new. It's trendy and this is important. It appeals to our desires to be independent from God. (laughs) That's what false teaching does. It appeals to our desires, my desire. My desire as a pastor to be independent from God. Can you believe that a pastor has a desire to be independent from God? (laughs) Would you believe that? It appeals to that. So the nearest context of this passage is that Paul is dealing with the love of money and the understanding that money is one way that discontentment and independence enters the picture for you. It's one part of that. It has a strong pull. Remember, he's not talking to the rich here. He's talking to the people that desire to be rich. However you measure that. I preached a sermon on the second, later on in this chapter, he deals with the wealthy. I preached a sermon on that sometime back in the summer. You have to go online to look for it and try to lay out really clear my positions on wealth and all of that. But um, you'll have to check that out. But the lack of, content, lack of, uh, lack of contentment in the con- context of unhealthy pursuit of money, it has a strong, it has a strong pull. All of the false teachings has a strong pull. It's magnetic. Sin is appealing. Sin is so appealing at times. It's magnetic, but look at me. It will level you. Sin will bury you. Isaac Watts, an old dead hymn writer, he says that pride is the source of 10,000 vices. And Brit, the young alive preacher, says, says that the lack of contentment in the context of ungodly pursuit of money is the source of 10,000 complexities. It's the source of 10,000 complexities. Sin is complex. It's nasty stuff. I'm here to tell you. It has a strong pull and Paul knows that. That's one of the reasons he uses the word flee. What's the second reason he uses the word flee? The man of God, the second reason he uses the word flee in this, he's telling Paul of Timothy to flee these things is because man is still weak. This is all throughout the Bible. You see this. You can't even stay in a position to be tempted by these things. That's why he says, flee them. Paul could have written this and he could have said, man of God, you've arrived by God's grace. So continue your masterful display of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. But we're weak. Our hands are dirty. Our hands are dirty. We are at great risk, my friends. We are at great risk. This morning, the great Braxton, our worship intern from CSU, led us in worship. It's fantastic. Thank you, Braxton. Braxton is awesome. Braxton is a cool friend. He's turning a good friend of mine. We spent some time together on Wednesday. I'm so thankful that he's here. We spent some time together on Wednesday. It just was a delight to me. I just, I love spending time with him. We talked about personal devotion. Part of his school is that we've got to sit down and talk through things. And one of the things we talked through on Wednesday was personal devotion. I just told him, what does it look like for a minister to have personal devotion in your family, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, reading the Bible, 
and all these sorts of things. We talked about a number of things. I really enjoyed our time together. I just really did. And I, I told him, I said, money is one, unfortunately, money is one of the three things. There's three things that have laid waste to untold amounts of pastors. Unfortunately, that is the case. And it's not just a pastor's. We are weak. So that's why he says flee these things. But here's the kicker to, the love, to, the, to fleeing love for money and living content. I just need to say a couple things about this really quick in the context of contentment. I'm not going to get too far on it, but really quick, we need to keep this in context. There are ditches on all sides of contentment. The reason I'm dealing with contentment is because that's what he's saying flee from, and I need to talk about it a little bit. But there's ditches on all sides of everything in the Bible. Any doctrine that you stretch across the whole scriptures and you don't think about the entire Bible of it, you can get out of balance with things. And so there's ditches on all sides of everything. And so to stay in, stay in balance with doctrines, you got to think about what does the whole Bible say on this? And I'm just going to be honest with you. Some people take discussions on contentment as a ticket to be lazy. Just point blank. I don't know how else to say it. Let's just keep it real for a moment. I've run into one too many Christians that say, you know, God calls me to be content. And, and what they're really saying is I'm trying to chill out, take it easy and not be held accountable. That's just the honest truth. And so let me be crystal clear. Contentment is not synonymous with being lazy. It's not synonymous with being lazy. Dare I say that we often cloak our personal desires to avoid getting out of our comfort zones, to avoid living our, to our potential, and, and, because we, and we call it contentment. We avoid living to our potential and we call it contentment. Well, God calls us to be content, so that means I'm just gonna stay in this little box over here and do my thing. That's not what Paul is telling Timothy to live out here. It's not what he's telling them to live out here. So let me, let, me, let me give you an illustration. I'm just talking about it in the context of love for money and just living to your potential in some ways. There's a lot of ways we can apply contentment, but I have a picture of it here, but I graduated from this fantastic university called Clemson University. Some of you don't, have, you don't like that at all. So I graduated from this place called Clemson University. And so we were in such a dry spell in football. I lived through the bad years in there that when we made it to the national championship in 2016, I think I have a picture of this for us this morning if we can get to it. So in 2016, we, had, we went to the national championship. And so uh, Megan and I graduated from there. It's a special place to me. It's a joy to me. I love Clemson. Um, it's, just, it's just been a big joy to me. It's part of my heritage. I graduated from there. My wife graduated from there. My bro- only brother, her only sister, brother-in-law, brothers, and everybody. So 2016, we went to Arizona. We made it to Arizona. And you wouldn't believe this. After we won the ACC championship, I booked the tickets for the thing. <laughs> All of my friends thought I was nuts until I, they realized I was a prophet. So that's another game, but the one before then. So they were like, what are you doing, man? I was like, I got a streak of businessman in me. Sometimes I roll the dice. But anyway, so it's like we, we booked the tickets to 2016. Go back to the picture before that. So I'm gonna come back to that one in a minute. So 2016, we go to this game. We're in there. As you know, what happened to all of it? We, we hadn't been. So it's like, if we're going to national championship, I'm going. It's kind of in the bylaws of our family. So Megan and I jumped on a plane and went there. So we get there with all of our friends. We're, we're out there right now. And so uh, we're, we get out there. You guys know how it ends. It was a tough game. We were just happy to be there. And so at the end of the game, these are some of my people here. These are some of my wonderful people. Two of those guys in that picture I've been friends with since we were about this tall. We grew up together, graduated high school the same day, graduated Clemson on the same day, which was a miracle. <laughs> They've seen me at my best. They've seen me at my worst. And so 2016, we're walking out of the stadium and uh, this guy, I can't remember if it was one of my friends or just some other random guy with us. He says, you know, man, we had a good year. You know, Davo did a good job. We had a good little run here. 
He's like, if we never make it back out here, I'm just glad we got to come. And I thought, man, give me a break, man. I didn't fly all the way out here. I flew all the way out here to watch these boys bring this thing home, man. <laughs> it's like the whole time I'm thinking, we got a good coach. We got remarkable facilities. We've, we're recruiting at the top of the world. We got potential. We got some serious potential here. I just want to live up to the potential. And I remember thinking, like, that's the wrong kind of contentment in some ways. And so I just want to say that was kind of the wrong kind of contentment in some ways. It, contentment is something you hide behind in order to Avoid living to your potential. Your potential, though, Paul tells you your potential is not material. It's spiritual. That's what the text gives us. So satisfaction in God is never used to hide behind something in order to have accountability, to never have a benchmark to meet, to never meet your potential in, with things of Christianity. Contentment and satisfactions aren't a, aren't a ticket for a static and stationary lifestyle. And so to the next picture, this is the next year. We got, I got another picture there from the next year. This is Tampa. We went to Tampa the next year. You all know how it worked out, whether you like it or not. We were there. That's my wife on FaceTime. <laughs> she couldn't be there physically, but that's her on FaceTime. Thanks to Apple, she was there with us. And so it was really a joy to me. Someone asked me, Britt, what's heaven like? I'm like, I don't know. The first 10 minutes after you win a national championship after a 25-year drought. <laughs> so, but we had a good time in all of that. So I just was glad to see us live to what I thought was our potential in. I'm glad that we had a head coach that wasn't content in some ways with what was around him. I'm thankful for that. So all that I'm trying to say, that's a silly illustration. All I'm trying to say is that you can enjoy contentment and satisfaction in God, but it's not a ticket to live a static life in comfort zones and come short and shortstop your Christian potential that God has given. That's all I'm trying to say in all of it. How do I know that that's what Paul is doing here? He doesn't intend, how do I know that he doesn't intend for contentment and satisfaction to be utilized as a cloak for the static life? How do I know that? Because Paul uses strong verbs, he uses strong verbs after this on the backside of the fleeing. Look at the text, it's right there in front of you. He says, live a godly life of contentment in three through 10. And then the next verse, he says, flee from the love of money and discontentment. He's telling us to be content. And then he takes Timothy right into two verbs of directive. He gives him two verbs. He doesn't leave you at fleeing from the goal of static contentment. A lot of people want to stop short at the fleeing. A lot of people want to stop short at it. Paul requires something of Timothy after the flee in order to gain godly contentment. God, contentment, look at me, this is so important. Contentment requires movement. Paul uses verbs here. He doesn't leave him at the fleeing. Contentment doesn't happen by a static life of navel gazing. You understand that? He moves from fleeing to two words. Look at the scripture. He says to pursue and fight. He tells Timothy to flee these things and then he tells him to pursue and fight. So the second two verbs in this is pursue and fight. He's calling us to pursue and fight. It's right there in front of you. He calls you to step onto the battlefield and wage war. Remember, 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 Pat, Timothy's not pastoring, is pastoring a church. He's in the trenches taking grenades. Are you tracking with me? He's in the middle of a war. Wherever you're at with your struggles, whatever fight you're in, whatever, whatever is raging around you, he calls you to pursue certain things. I'm gonna give them to you in a moment in order to gain contentment. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Contentment doesn't mean sitting around and relaxing. It's like Paul is saying, this is important. It's like Paul is saying, be content through alternative action. Do you see that? He, he, it's because of the two verbs he uses. He says pursue and fight. So there, there's an intensity to these two words. Brit, 
there's intensity to something. You're an intense guy. I am. And there's an intensity to these two words. To Paul, Paul is calling Timothy to be proactive and offensive. Are you, are, you, are you there with me? We don't live the Christian faith on our heels. We don't live the Christian faith upon our heels. Brit, but I thought faith was a box that I checked at my salvation. And that was it. No, my friends. Faith is something that persists your entire life through proactiveness. You fight for it. When you, when you think about faith, we often think about the little engine that could or some weird thing like that where it's like you just sit around and say over and over, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And it's like that if you do that hard enough that God will just appear and make things happen out of the abyss. In his sovereignty, he'll just appear and rescue us. And it, 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 but it matters what you do. If you short stop at the fleeing, if you short stop at the fleeing, you'll stop and sit around on your hands just believing. And that's far from the truth. That's not the way Paul lived. The words pursue and fight here are indicative of tremendous concentration, tremendous discipline, extreme effort. If you look at them, that's what they're, that's what they're getting at. These two words, fight and pursue. So it's with ex- extreme effort, with concentration, with discipline that we are per- to pursue a fight and fight for particular things. Don't stop short the work of God by fleeing from sin and sitting on your hands. So what is Paul calling us to pursue? If we flee sin and pursue some things, is he calling us to pursue money or wealth or any of those type of things? No, he gives us the list right here. Paul is calling us to pursue some very clear things. And I need you to pay particular attention here to these lists of pursuits that Paul unfolds. These are very clear things that the Christian should pursue. I wanna make an important caveat. This is not all the Christian should pursue. Just some things that we should pursue. And they're action-related, and we know they're action-related because of the context. The first one is this, righteousness. I'm going to give you quick definitions on these. You can jot these down or or, uh, just think about them over the week. Righteousness, that's just very simply doing what is right before God. There's a couple senses of righteousness in there, but in this context, just doing what is right before God. Godliness, godliness is making God known. How do I make God known? You live out scripture. God has revealed himself through scripture. We live that out. That is how we make God known. Faith, that's dependence upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The older you get, the more you realize how sinful you are and the bigger the cross gets. The further you are on the road of sanctification, the bigger the gospel gets, the more you need it. Faith, dependence on the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Love, I mean, there's a thousand ways you could love someone. Maybe the important, most important way to love someone is to tell them the truth. Maybe the, important, most, the best way to love someone is to tell them about the gospel. Maybe that's the important, best way to love someone. I don't know, apply it any way you can think of it. Steadfastness, keep it moving, don't be a wimp. Gentleness, power under control. I mean, you can define these things a million different ways, but, but, but here's another footnote for you. you. Did you realize that the pursuit and fight that I just, uh, of those list of things right there, they have nothing to do with youth and physical strength? You tracking with me here? There are people all around you in this church. If you're under 45, look at me. There are people all around you in this church that their bodies are failing them and they're gladiators in this space. They're people that can't be here today because their bodies are failing them and they're giants in this stuff. 
They'll wear you out in this stuff. Any day of the week and twice on Sunday. And I'm just be honest with you. I, 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 there are times that I wish they had the health back to be in this crazy world. Because they, they put me to shame. They put us younger folks to shame in this world. I just want to say that, that they already have in some ways, matter of fact, thanks be to God they're all around you. Thanks be to God they're still in this church. I'm a product of men and women that live these things out. Some of them were poor. Some of them didn't have formal educations. They all had very difficult lives in some ways. And they modeled this stuff at elite levels in the midst of a world that longed for my soul. They modeled this stuff. And they have gray hair now. And some of them aren't even living anymore. Go love someone with gray hair. Go love someone. Most of you aren't pastors. Paul is talking to Timothy here about being a pastor. He's training pastors. Most of you aren't pastors, but you share with, with Timothy in this that you are called to these same things as a Christian. You're fighting the same things they did, just in different places and under different terms and in, under a different banner. Let me explain to you. It, as a Christian, it is beyond argument that the primary aim of your Christian journey is to pursue righteousness, to pursue godliness, to pursue faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness as you engage the world around you that is full of false teachers. That's all Timothy is doing. He's going, and I'm going to say it to you again, as you, it is beyond argument that you should pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness as you engage the world around you that is full of false teachers. How, how, how can I say that? Because that's all that Paul and Timothy were doing. They were just doing it in a different context. That's all they were doing. You're not a pastor like Timothy, so we gotta apply it to us. They, they were doing it in a church, but remember what I was telling you, when you leave here, you don't stop being the church. You're just gathered as the church this morning. The people are the church. So whatever Paul, uh, directive Paul gives Timothy here on how to operate, it's just not for pastors. It's just not for inside this building. I'm gonna go somewhere with this. I'm gonna land this here in a second. You leave here, you're still the church. That's so important because the larger context of Paul and Timothy's life is they didn't get the luxury of ministering at Grace on the Ashley. They didn't get the luxury of ministering at Grace on the Ashley. The context of Paul and Timothy's ministry was in the middle of a world of total chaos. All this false teaching and craziness, it was nuts. Remember that Paul, Paul spent his whole entire life in a full tilt war. He spent his whole life at war. Listen to this. This one Princeton scholar, the old Princeton. Princeton is not the same school as it used to be. The old Princeton. Some of the most masterful scholars on earth graduated and taught and, and, and preached there. It just was a marvelous place. But his name is William Hendrickson. And he reminds us that Paul has been fighting against Satan, against principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. He fought against Jewish and pagan vice and violence, against Judaism amongst the Galatians, against fanatics in Thessalonia, against contention and fornication and litigation at the church of Corinth against incipient Gnosticism amongst the Ephesians and the Colossians. He even fought against fear within his own self. Anybody fighting some fear within your own self this morning? Last but not least, the apostle Paul, he fought against the law of sin and death in his own heart. He fought it in his own heart. So Paul, Paul spent a lifetime fleeing, pursuing, and fighting in places that was void of the gospel. Churches that did not have the gospel. And this is the most exhausting part. He had to fight this stuff in his own life. 
like everybody else in here has to. Paul isn't, Timothy isn't being sent to grace on the ash. I love you, but he's being sent to a church that isn't even a church. He, he's, he's, spending to, he's being sent to a church that's living in full tilt heresy. It's a mess. It, it isn't, he isn't going to a place where the people are arguing about whether to have deacons or lay elders. He's not going to a place that affirms the Baptist faith in message 2000. He's not going to a place that is Orthodox Christianity and is arguing about whether the extent of the atonement is limited or, or, or universal. He's not going to that place. He's not going to a place that is arguing about whether Paul's utilization of the subjunctive in some Greek New Testament manuscript means that my interpretation of Daniel says that Jesus is coming back before persecution, not after. I don't even know what that means. That's not even true. I'm just making stuff up at this point. He's not going to that place. He's not going to a place where a bunch of Southern Baptists are sitting around and arguing whether pragmatics are evil and John Calvin should have been burned at the stake when he was alive or that Donald Trump isn't Christian enough to vote for. He's going to a place that looks exactly like the culture that you and I deal with outside of here. And I'm out of breath. Good grief. He's going to a place that looks like where Greg's going for the next nine months. He's going to a place that's totally upside down and sideways. Hear this. Timothy is ministering in a place that lacked the gospel altogether. He isn't coming to grace on the Ashley. He's going to a church that looked like your workplace. He's going to a church that looked like your unregenerate families. He's going to a place that looks like Capitol Hill. He's going to a place, dare I say, that looks like this community, that looks like this city. How do you, do you want to know what really earns you the title of man of God or man of woman, or a, 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 man of, a, a man of God or a woman of God, like Paul addresses Timothy in this letter? You want to know what earns you that title? Is whether or not you can pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness in places that are void of the gospel like Timothy did. Can you pursue these things at your job? Can you pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness in a secular college or a public high school? Can you pursue these things within a family that hates the gospel? Can you pursue these things in the midst of the same chaos that Timothy had to pursue them, just a different setting? These things, I'm just going to be honest with you, these things are easy in this building on Sunday morning because we have freedom. We live in America. What about when the church is not gathered? Can you pursue these things? Paul instructs Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness in spite of extreme cultural challenges. Can you do the same? The fight, my friends, it does not end at your conversion. It only begins. The purpose of the fight is desirable. God and his glory, the leader of the fight, is gracious and everlasting Christ Jesus. And the reward of the fight, the reward of the fight is splendid. It's life eternal. God, give us strength to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness in a world that is void of the gospel. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, be kind to us as we wrestle with the with the sin without and the sin within, Father. Help us to think carefully about the idea of contentment, dear Lord. I know that there are people in here struggling with all sorts of things in their life and may contrary to what the world tells us may they pursue the things that you've outlined in this text father give us hearts that 
are bent towards the labor that comes in the fight and the pursuit of the things that you've called us to in the midst of a world that's chaotic, in the midst of a world that may increasingly cost us things if we pursue this and live it out. May we be found faithful. May we be found faithful as a church. May may I be found faithful as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's in his name that we pray. Amen.